Go with me to Philippians chapter 1, would you? Philippians chapter 1. Last week we began looking at Philippians 1 verses 3 through 6. And we started there for the purpose of noting four keys to true joy. So let's continue here where Paul writes in verses 3 through 6 of Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, our last time together here, we noted that a key to the true joy expressed by Paul was thankfulness. Thankfulness, and specifically thankfulness to God for other believers. True joy is only possible for those who do not focus on themselves, we learned, but consider the needs of others and praise God for the other believers that he brings into one's life. And this is very evident in Paul's life as he prays for and praises God for the believers at the church at Philippi while he himself is a prisoner. I think it's remarkable. Most scholars agree that he was still in prison as he wrote this, and in spite of his difficult circumstances, he chose to consider the needs of others as greater than his own and to thank God for the believers in his life. And even if he was not in prison, if you know the life of Paul, and from the New Testament we can learn about Paul's life, we know that he was often in much distress. And even if he wasn't in prison at this moment, which is unlikely, likely that he is writing this from imprisonment, but still, we can look at Paul's life and, and think it is remarkable that a man that has gone through so many trials and difficulties would be thinking of others. And we would think that because we are so prone to think of ourselves, aren't we? It is evident in Paul's life as he prays for and praises God for the believers of the church at Philippi that he is is fixing his eyes on the needs of others and he is thinking about the concerns of others and he lifts up a voice of praise to God for the other believers in his life, getting his, his eyes, getting his thoughts off of constantly thinking about his own needs and thinking about the concerns of others. It is a key to Paul's joy. It is a key to your joy. It is a key to my joy. We cannot afford to think only of ourselves. It is not biblical for one thing. It is not healthy and there will be a lack of joy in our lives if there is a lack of this concern for other believers in the church. Now, this morning as we continue here in verses 3 through 6, I want you to see three more keys. That was the first. Thankfulness. Three more keys this morning to true joy as seen in Paul's example. And the second key to this true joy is prayer. Prayer. Paul found great joy through prayer. Look at verse 4 again. As we see here, again, that Paul's focus is not mainly on himself, is it? Paul was praying for the believers at Philippi, and he wasn't just praying for a select few either. Do you see what he says here? He says he's praying for 
you all, or as some would say, y'all. Praying for you all, right? Praying for y'all. If he spoke like that, he would would have said that, right? He says in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all. How sweet that is. I mean, think of it. I appreciate what Ed Gray said this morning when he said that we encourage you to come together, you know, to, to get down on your knees at home on the first and the fifteenth of every month to remind yourself at least to pray for each other. And if you don't think you can pray for fifteen minutes, get the church directory out. Right? And remember all the church. Fifteen minutes, where did that go? Right? He says in verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all. So he wasn't praying for just a few of his closest friends. Right? You need to be careful with that. But for you all. He wasn't picking any favorites, which is a good reminder that there is no room for that in the church. If we're going to be a church that truly loves God and loves people, then we need to take to heart the importance of loving and thanking God for and praying for other believers, the brothers and sisters in Christ that make up the church that we belong to, right? Even the ones, hear me on this, even the ones who are not so easy to like. And I may be one of them, so cut me some slack, all right? We need to give each other some some grace. As, as one of the reasons I read the passage I did from Colossians, right? We need to show love and grace, the love and grace that God shows us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, let's admit it, some people aren't so easy to like. And we may be among those people who aren't so easy to like. But oh, how we must love one another and thank God for one another and pray for one another, hold one another before the Lord. If you want to know true joy, you would better be a believer who's willing to humble himself before God and pray, and not only for your own needs. Pray for the needs of others. So Paul was praying for all of them, thanking God for all of them, and note that he prayed for them with joy. Making my prayer with joy. I think that's remarkable, and I think it's important You might think, and if you were able to see, if you were able to envision Paul in his circumstances, you might think, how? How could a man suffering like Paul suffered be able to say that he prayed with joy? We're going to see in a moment. Praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ is no burden at all. You realize that, don't you? It is no burden at all. We ought not look at prayer as a burden. And I don't think that you do, but we need to guard against thinking that it is a duty, something that we just fulfill, and I'll get my five minutes of prayer in, I'll, I'll name these names, I'll check these people off my sick list, and I'm done with that for the rest of the day. Oh no. If we're truly concerned about one another, we won't be able to stop praying for each other. We won't be able to remove from our hearts the heavy weight of the need of that other believer that we can intercede for. Here is a an awesome privilege that God has given us as a church to hold up before the Maker of the universe the needs of your brother and sister in Christ. That is not a burden. That is a blessing.
And that will lead to true joy. I like what Johnny Erickson Tata wrote once. She, if you don't know about Johnny Erickson Tata, she was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident as a teenager. And so, and we can say confidently she knows something about suffering, something about difficulty. She has a sweet, godly spirit about her and, a, and uh, is a gracious woman who loves the Lord and has, has ministered uh, in her writing in many ways and in many other ways. And she writes of this privilege of praying for others, saying, like art, like music, like so many other disciplines, Prayer can only be appreciated when you actually spend time in it. Spending time with the Master will elevate your thinking. The more you pray, the more will be revealed. You will understand. You will smile and nod your head as you identify with others who fight long battles and find great joy on their knees. And I'm with Johnny on that. There is joy to be found in, on your knees before God in prayer. And so there is great joy in taking the needs of others to your Heavenly Father in prayer. But when prayer is missing from the believer's life, true joy will also be missing. But the believer who practices the spiritual discipline of 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and prays without ceasing, makes much of that praying for the needs of others, will know the true joy of obedient prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. And he knew true joy because he was faithful in praying for others. Others. I'm sure he prayed about his own needs. Because we're going to see that his confidence was in God. I'm sure he prayed about his own needs. But he is praying for others here and he doesn't allow his imprisonment to serve as an excuse for not serving the Lord in this incredible privilege of prayer. On the contrary, he used his imprisonment as an opportunity to intercede with God over the needs of others. In his praying, he did with great joy. I am blessed, I am blessed, and you are blessed by individuals who say, I can't do that, I'm not physically able to do this, but I can pray, and I'm praying for you. Do not take that lightly. Praise God for saints who can't do anything but pray. Think of it. I can't think of a higher privilege but to intercede in prayer with our awesome and mighty God of whom we proclaim in song this morning. How awesome is your name? Do you believe it? Then pray. Because He hears and He answers prayer. Paul prayed with great joy and I believe when your heart attitude is right and you desire to, to love God and love people as we should, you too will find great joy, true joy in prayer. Here's the third key to true joy. It's found in verse 5. And I'm going to call it partnership because that's the word that I see here in the translation that I'm using, the English Standard Version. Partnership. Paul found joy through partnership with believers. He was a partner with other believers. Paul says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Now Paul knew true joy because of the partnership that he enjoyed with other believers in the Gospel. He had, he had this special partnership with them. They were, they were 
joint heirs with Christ, right? And as those joint heirs with Christ, they were ready to partner together to advance the cause of Jesus Christ, to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word for this, this word partnership, translated in the ESV, the word for this in the Greek is the word koinonia, which we often think of as fellowship, right? We think fellowship, we think koinonia. And when we think of the idea of fellowship, we often associate it with pleasant company and pleasant conversation. Other believers, pleasant company and pleasant conversation. And that can include that. That that idea of koinonia can include that. But pleasant conversation with other believers is really the overflow of true koinonia. should be the outflow of that true fellowship. And the word koinonia really... We should, we should understand it as meaning a joint participation. True koinonia is a fellowship in a joint participation over something. And that something is the gospel. The gospel that we proclaim with the way that we live and the way that we speak and the way that we preach, right? We preach the truth of God's word and we should go out into this world this week and live the truth of God's word. And so we have this fellowship. It is why we can gather and enjoy pleasant company and conversation with other believers because it is a very special bond that we have that the world cannot understand. Paul shared a participation and a partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ with the believers at Philippi and he found great joy in and treasured this partnership. And you might have the word fellowship in your translation, but I want you to think partnership or participation. How important that we get fellowship right, koinonia right, that we don't just think it's a time that we have once a month on Sunday night. Okay? We tend to, we sometimes call our time together koinonia when we have uh, snacks after a Sunday night service, uh, occasionally on a Sunday night. But true fellowship is a, is a partnership, a laboring together for the sake of the gospel. And that should be true of us today. It was true of them then. That's why Paul points to it because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Talk about faithfulness. From the first day until now, through all the troubles, through all the highs and the lows, you've been there with me. It is a partnership. And that should be true of us as a church. As believers, we partner together and participate together in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is terribly good news. It is wonderfully wonderful good news, right? That Jesus Christ came to earth and was sacrificed. I mean, God sent His Son and sent Him for the purpose of being a sacrifice for our sins is incredible. And that is something that we can partner together over, isn't it? We are partners. We are in this fellowship together. And that's how Paul saw the believers at Philippi. You see, we gather here to equip and encourage one another for that purpose. Of course, partnership implies that we're working together. In other words, we're not to be spectators. We're to be partners and participants in the work of the church. And so we can't afford to be spectators. We need to partner together and 
and serve together. And that means that each believer in the church is to be actively involved in making their lives a living witness for Christ, partnering with other believers in the spread of the Gospel of Christ. I trust that's why you're here today, that you want to grow in this partnership, this fellowship, in this Christ-likeness, so that leaving this place today, you can live more for Christ tomorrow in the world. Where sometimes people cuss and swear, right, Carol? And we have to deal with that and say, but I am here and this is my ministry. This is where God put me. God put me here to minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is true of each and every one of you believers in this fellowship. When you leave this place today, you go out to do your ministry. We need to see our lives that way. We need to see our work that way. We need to see the community, our neighborhoods that way. This is where God has put me, to minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we, I hope we see that. I hope we, we can agree about that. That the ministry isn't something that we just do on Sunday mornings. That the ministry isn't something that just the pastor does or just the deacons do or just the Sunday school teachers do. The ministry is something we share. The ministry of the Gospel, this partnership, is ours. It's not mine. And it's not just yours. It's ours. Under Christ, the head of the church. And we are the body. And the body only properly functions when the body functions together. So believers who want to know true joy will learn from Paul's example and will see themselves as partners and participants in the body of Christ, the church. In fact, God makes us stronger together as a church than we are as individuals in the church. We accomplish more together as partners. Witness, a couple of weeks ago, Vacation Bible School. I would not be able to do that by myself. Chris, do you think you could do Vacation Bible School by yourself? No, we couldn't. You know, Chris directed us, and she said, I felt like I didn't do anything. But no, you did all the work ahead of time to get us organized, right? Because there were all these different people with all their different gifts and skills and, and desires of heart to serve the Lord come together into this place to minister the Gospel. And it's something that we do together that we could not do as individuals. Praise God! I mean, that's the way God works. And we ought to Rejoice in that and find great joy in partnering together in the Gospel for that purpose as we glorify God. We accomplish more together as partners. It was Leonardo da Vinci who said, an arch consists of two weaknesses which leaning against one another make a strength. True, isn't it? That's also a biblical truth, one we hear in Ecclesiastes 4.9 where it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. This is the beauty of the church as God meant it to be. When we come together as the church, properly functioning, we complement and we complete one another in what one, is, what one is unable to do, someone else can do. Praise God. It one, in, in what one is unable to accomplish, another is gifted to accomplish for God's glory. And God gets the glory. And as the church comes together in obedience to the Lord, we will experience true joy. As we honor God in that, as we take steps of obedience to partner together, guess what? God blesses. 
And part of that blessing is something we enjoy this side of heaven. It's true joy. It's the satisfaction of honoring God and working with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There is true joy to be had there. So the first three keys to true joy seen in Paul's example are thanksgiving, prayer, and partnership. And the fourth key to true joy is found in verse 6. It is confidence. I asked earlier the question, how could Paul, a man who suffered as he did because he was a, a messenger for the Lord Jesus Christ, a shining light in a dark world where the gospel needed to be proclaimed like it still does today, how could he, facing so much hardship and turmoil, have joy in prayer? Here's why. Confidence. And this isn't a, a you know, a grab yourself by the bootstraps kind of confidence I'm talking about. That's not the biblical perspective. Look at verse 6 again. And I am sure of this. Now he takes his eyes off of himself. For he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. His confidence is not in himself, is it? You can hear Paul's confidence, yes. And he knew true joy because he was confident. But he was confident in the right in the right person, in the right personality. He was, he was confident in the Lord. He was confident in God. It's one of the reasons we proclaim the truths that we do when we sing the songs that we sang today. All those songs of praise and worship, God doesn't need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. Because we need confidence to go out of this place and serve the Lord faithfully and obediently this week in the face of severe opposition to the truth, to the light of the gospel. Because men love darkness rather than light, right? So you can hear Paul's confidence and you can know that he knew true joy, but you know this because he was confident in the Lord and what God was doing. This doesn't sound like a man imprisoned, does it? This doesn't sound like a man who knows hardship and difficulty, does it? And the reason for this is that he knew whom he could trust. He could trust in the Lord, and he knew that what God starts, God finishes. And so you learn from Paul that true joy is found in putting your confidence not in yourself. Again, we go back to that, don't we? We take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them somewhere else. We began with this. Thankfulness to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ taking our eyes off of ourselves. We, we step next to prayer and we say, I'm going to pray, but not only for myself, I'm going to pray for the needs of others. Do you see a commonality here in this thread that goes through this thought, this idea that if you want to know true joy, you better stop thinking about yourself and you better put your confidence somewhere else. Properly put your joy in the Lord. Properly put your confidence in the Lord. So you learn from Paul that true joy is found in putting your confidence not in yourself. And remember, not in your present circumstances. Why? Because your circumstances are going to change. As, as much as I can guarantee that the weather is going to change in northern Michigan, I guarantee you your circumstances are going to change, right? We never know. A couple weeks ago it was 90 some degrees. The next week it was like 30 degrees cooler. And, and we keep wondering, is summer going to come back or is this it? You never know, do you? Well, life is like that. That's a great reminder that life is like that. Life, you never know. And you, if you base your joy on your circumstances, you're going to be really high and sailing one day, and you're going to be dredging the dredges the next. 
Because if you base your joy in your circumstances, you will have no reason, no hope for joy, but put your confidence in the Lord. Look at Paul, right? What does he say? I'm sure of this. That He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That's where my confidence is. It's not in the ups and downs of, of human you know, responses to situations. It's not in our, it's not in our attitudes, which fluctuate from time to time. It's not in the way that we, that we sometimes seem like we're, we're lacking and we're, we're sliding backwards and sometimes we're advancing speedily. That's difficult to, to handle, isn't it? Put your confidence in the Lord. Keep your confidence in what God has done, is doing, and will be doing knowing that God is working in you, through you, and in those other believers around you, He will finish what He started. And all followers of Christ can have that same confidence. I, I, I struggle when I hear someone say, hmm, it's just not me, it's just the way I am. I've always been this way. You know, when we talk about being discouraged or down about something or, or pessimistic about something or negative about something or, or complaining about something or divisive about something. Any times that we have these, these kinds of attitudes where we say, well, it's just, you know, just the way I was raised. We were, I was raised in a negative family. We were always fighting and we were always arguing and we always set our peace and we are, you know, it's just the way I am. Careful. Dangerous territory to live in because God's word means to, to help you change that. Right? Because if, if the way you are is in conflict with what God's word declares you can be and should be, then you need to be willing to say, okay, that's the way I seem to be, but I can change because my confidence is in God. Because he who began a good work in me is going to complete it and bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's where my confidence is. So by God's grace, I humble myself before your word, Lord, and I am going to change that by your mercy and with your help so that you get the glory, God. God is working in all believers. God is working through believers. Look around and realize that, that your brothers and sisters in Christ have God God's hand on their lives and are, and are being worked on and in by God, just like you are. Praise God for that and keep your confidence there. I say that because sometimes we look around and we feel like, okay, I wish so-and-so would just change already. Or I wish they would stop doing that. And we tend to you know, get our eyes off of ourselves when we start thinking about the things that drive us nuts about other people. Right? We look at their, their perceived faults. And yet we can be impatient. And yet God says, be faithful. Don't be impatient. Be faithful. Preach the Word. Teach the Word. Do it with patience. Be gracious. Be careful that you don't write someone off as completely unchanged. They'll never change. Because where God is at work, He will finish what He starts. And instead of being discouraged and disheartened when we fail Him ourselves, we do fail Him, don't we? We sin. Instead of being discouraged and disheartened that, oh, I'll never get it right, Repent of that sin. Say, God, I want to get it right. Because I know that you're working in me. And I want you to be glorified as I grow in Christ's likeness. You might be discouraged when you 
fail and sin. But if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you can be confident, like Paul, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. No, we aren't sinless as Christians, but we do receive His forgiveness for our sins. Praise God. And we receive His help to change. And there is a day when our salvation will be complete. And then we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Right? Because we want that to be, we want this struggle to be over with, don't we? We want to stop fighting sin. If you're a believer, that, you, you've thought of that before. I, I'm, why do I keep sinning? See, God wants us to live with true joy with our confidence in Him, knowing that by His grace and by His Word, we can say no to sin. In daily, in daily, maybe many times throughout the day, little, little acts of obedience. You need to see your life in Christ that way. It's a collection of thousands upon thousands of little acts of obedience. I'm going to choose to do what honors God in this. And God strengthens you for the next little act of obedience. There is a day when our salvation will be complete, and this phrase in verse 6, will bring it to completion, tells us so. And this is here for our confidence in the Lord because the Christian life is one that progresses over a long haul. There is no slick method for getting spiritual quick. The Christian life is one of many, many little acts of confident faith in God-empowered obedience. I had to laugh to myself this morning. I don't know why I do it. Every once in a while when I'm dressing, after I've dressed, I'm getting my shoes on and things like that for a Sunday morning. I turn the news on. I turn the TV on to look for some news. And I only, we only get like three channels and there's nothing but infomercial, infomercial, infomercial. And one of them was an infomercial on, the, on a special diet you could buy the plan to and another one was a piece of equipment you can buy, and they were both saying the same thing. And I thought, well, they make it sound like just eat this food and you'll lose weight. And they make it sound like just buy this piece of equipment and you lose weight. Guess what? It's both. It's both plus a lot of other things, right? You know, if you want to lose weight, if you want to get in shape, you've got to beat your body. You've got to be disciplined, right? It take no. You don't like that idea. It takes a lot of little acts of of discipline, right? And the, and the Christian life is that way. It's like a marathon where where you just keep going. Why can you do that? How is it possible? Because if your confidence is in the Lord, you can know that the Mighty One, our awesome Heavenly Father, the Creator of the universe. Creator than all that we can imagine. Creator of all the things that, that exist in this world that we still don't know about. He's helping you. He's there with you. Faith in God-empowered obedience. And if you have the confidence that, God, that, that Paul had, it will be a great source of joy knowing that one day the work that God has begun in you will be complete. And that's a good complete. It's not like he's going to, eh, I'm done with you. No, he's going to welcome you with open arms. All his children he will welcome, and you will see the Lord Jesus Christ as he is, because you will no longer be fighting sin. Praise God.
You can have the confidence that Paul had. You can have the joy that Paul had if your confidence is in the Lord. And until he calls us home or Christ returns, he's still doing his work in us. So Paul's words here are joyful words. I love this passage. I love Philippians 1 and the rest of Philippians for this reminder that this joy can be ours. For those who walk with Christ, as Christ continues to do His work in us, and God has given us these words for our joy, and true joy can be ours when we practice giving thanks to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may need to practice, right? Practice to get good at it. Give thanks to God for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we practice faithfully praying for one another, hold before the Lord the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Consider the needs of others as greater than your own. And when we thank God for and enjoy and participate in the partnership we share with other believers in sharing the gospel, and when we find our confidence in the Lord that He will complete the good work He has begun in us, we will know the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And we will do these things for His glory. And He will bless us with true joy.